Time for Baldry's Beat. Keith Baldry, Legislative Bureau Chief for Global News. Good morning, Keith. Happy Friday. Okay, so the rain has stopped, at least for now, or slowed down, and you know, we hopefully we're drying out. And then we've got like a huge rebuilding process here huge. to recover from this disaster. Like when you think about the damage to the highways, some of it had washed away, mm-hmm. how the coca is just cracked up into pieces. Like, you know, there's going to be some short-term repairs done to these these highways, but then it's a much bigger deal in repairing them for the long mm-hmm. term. So let me play you a clip here for Transportation Minister Rob Fleming talking about that and then get your thoughts. I don't have a cost amount, uh, but it will be a lot. Um, I think the federal government is aware of that. They've seen the damage as well. Uh, and, um, you know, we, we, we want to rebuild as quickly as we can, but we want to rebuild it right. Yeah, okay, so rebuild quickly, but, you know, we got to rebuild it differently. Rebuild better, so to withstand future weather events. So this is not the same thing going forward. This is going to cost billions of dollars. Yeah. And the Coquihalla is probably the worst damage of all all the highways. Well, it is the worst damage. (coughs) In 20 places, it's cracked apart over 130 kilometers. I think five bridges have washed out there. So these highways are going to be reconstructed with an eye to withstanding future weather events, the likes of which we've never seen up until now. And that, that is a whole new way of doing things. We're talking about um, massive inspections of, of the mountains and hills that surround highways because if, if the soil is saturated with water, that's what caused all those landslides, all those mudslides on all our highways. That's going to have to be uh, prevented in the future. So this is a mammoth undertaking. Yeah, it's going to require federal help as well. One of the things that Fleming said yesterday was there would have to be like new drainage technology on these highways to drain this water. So away. much, and it goes beyond highways. So much of our infrastructure was built in the 1950s and 60s to respond and to withstand the weather as we knew it back then, or as they knew it back then. Yeah. Uh, the culverts aren't big enough right now, as we saw in the floods in in uh, the Fraser Valley. So you know, it's literally, the size of the culverts have to be revisited here. The size of di- the height of dikes all have to be revisited. So this goes well beyond highways. It's a it's a general uh, infrastructure problem. You had a you had a guy on I think about two weeks ago, an engineer in Chilliwack, who talked about yep. the municipalities are going to have to do an inventory now of all their infrastructure to figure out the size of it and can it withstand uh, really what is going to be the major outcome and impact of climate change, which is flooding. I mean, that's really what we're going to see is flooding. We are seeing some progress here in getting some of these arteries reopened, like Highway 1. It was great yep. to see that opened yesterday, get that, uh, remove that uh, Tiger Dam across the road, get that highway reopened. That, I just spoke to Abbotsford Mayor Henry Braun about that. He says it's not just good for his community, but for the whole province. It's such a crucial transportation route. So it's I wonder great if to Henry Braun has political aspirations that go beyond the mayor's office of Abbotsford, because right now he's looking pretty good. You know, the same thing was going through my mind there because this guy could get himself elected to any office he wants down there in Abbotsford. I think right he's going to get wooed by other, yeah. uh, by various political parties. Uh, to I wonder, provincially or federally. I wonder is he NDP or liberal, or do we know? What, I don't know. What is this guy's politics? We, you know, these these political parties are probably lining up. Go, go and sign this guy up. I've talked to the Democrats to say, hmm, wouldn't mind having <laughs> that guy as a well, candidate. Well, I bet you the liberals are saying the same thing. Yeah. Yeah. Oh, no, okay. he's uh, certainly he's quitted himself and his. Uh, uh, municipality wall. He has for he has for sure. But you know, he was saying like it was crucial to get that highway open. I was kind of surprised when I heard. I believe I heard Fleming say that maybe they could get parts of the Coquihalla open in by like, the end of January. By January, I was com- like, really? Commercial truck only, not for uh, recreational travel. Yeah, I've I've talked to Fleming about it. He admits that's a that's an ambitious target. But that his you know it's not him. It's it's his people, his engineers, people in this in the ministry and the contractors who say no, we can do this. 
Uh, I think a lot of people are skeptical about that, but I mean, yeah. it'd be great if it was open by the end of January. But again, it's not to uh, regular traffic. It's the temporary measures. It's going to be commercial traffic for a long time. We're not going to have recreational travel on the Coquihalla for quite some time. Yeah, it doesn't look like it. Okay, one of the things I talked to the Abbotsford mayor about was uh, the number of farms that are still underwater in that Sumas Prairie area. And the Agriculture Minister Lana Popham yesterday talked about that, and she talked about including the number of animals that have died in this disaster. Have a listen. Currently, there are still about 819 farms that are under evacuation. We know at this point there are 628,000 poultry reported dead, 420 dairy cattle deceased, and approximately 12,000 hogs. And also of note, there is 110 beehives that have been submerged. Okay, so that was the first time we heard actual numbers about what we lost in terms of livestock. That was quite astounding. Six hundred More than 600,000 chickens, 12,000 hogs. It's really uh, grim and depressing. You know, it was interesting. Like, she was asked this the other day about these numbers, and she didn't want to give out the numbers. No. She said it's too... It's She doesn't want to affect the mental health of farmers who are trying to recover, so she didn't want to put the numbers out. And then and a she, couple of days later, she puts them out. Yeah, she's so. she's visited the farm. She was spent the last two days uh, touring or visiting farmers and visiting, uh, inspecting the lay of the land there, or lay of the water, frankly. Yeah. Uh, but that was the first time she provided some uh, some statistics about exactly the carnage that this flood caused. Yeah, and it, it is for individual farms or the type of operations will drive the recovery rate because you know one of the things that Braun just told me the Abbotsford mayor was that if you've got like a blueberry farm that's submerged underwater that could take years well, years to recover. Minister Popham cited a specific blueberry farm uh, in Abbotsford yesterday that she she talked to the farmer there um, he's got 40 hectares under 8 feet of water <laughs> but and he oh. doesn't think he'll know until April whether the crop is viable. Wow. Okay. So, you know, a farm like that could be years to recover. And then he said, you know, there are some dairy farms that are flooded out, but they're on a little bit higher elevation and maybe they're, maybe they're back up and running in a matter of months, but. Yeah, no, it's, it's, it's going to vary from farm to farm, but more than 800 farms, uh, were evacuated. That's, that's a lot. Astounding. Uh, what's going on with the booster shots? Because there's new guidelines out on booster shots, right? Well, NASA, the new recommendations. So NASA, the National Advisory Council on uh, Committee on Immunizations, is recommending booster shots for anyone over 50 years. Currently in BC, we're not quite at that level. But Adrian Dix has a um, news conference today at 10. He'll respond to that, the health minister. Uh, Bonnie Henry and Dix will have their briefing on Tuesday. Uh, given... What we've seen in the past, NASI's usually a few weeks ahead of everyone uh, in terms of recommendations. I wouldn't be surprised at all if BC moves to uh, adopt NASI's recommendations. Alberta and Ontario are, uh, six, so it's uh, less than six months for uh, people over the age of 50 to get... Six uh, months after your second shot. Second shot, yeah. So yeah. right now in BC, it's six to eight months. <coughs> Alberta and Ontario moving to a little less, about five and a half months. Hmm. NASI is <coughs> suggesting six months for anyone over the age of 50. So again, I think it's, it's an evolving situation, like, like we've seen in other. Our vaccination rollout has changed, <laughs> uh, you know, from time to time in terms of age groups, rollouts, targets, and this sort of thing. Don't be surprised if it uh, changes again. And the Omicron variant adds a level of of uh, urgency, urgency, yeah. Yeah, or for sure, unknowing exactly what impact that's going to have. Okay, um, <coughs> we talked before about some of these sports scandals when uh, it yes. comes to immunizations. We talked about Aaron. Rogers when he was very misleading basically lying about his immunization status so Antonio Brown okay so this is wide the receiver wide receiver you know great player but you know one of the bit, bad boys in the NFL yeah I mean 
this guy has done some terrible, terrible things in his time. Sexual assault, all kinds of terrible stuff he's been accused of and done. Now he faked his vaccination card. Okay, so this is the deal. So it's been revealed now that he showed up at the start of the NFL season and produced a fake vaccine card. He plays for the Tampa Bay Buccaneers. He's been caught now. He's been suspended. He's been suspended three games. Have a listen to this uh, report here. Chris Broussard here from Fox Sports. Have a listen. He went to camp with the fake card with the intention of fooling everybody, including obviously the organization that brought him in and and really resurrected his career. And then someone told him, hey, if you do that, it's a felony and you could be in big trouble. And then he went, he basically didn't go go through with the plan and instead got vaccinated. Yeah, so someone talked some sense into him and said, like, look, in the United States, this is a federal crime to, to produce a fake vaccine card. You could go to jail for years for yeah, doing this. So then he said, oh, well, you know, I'll go get vaccinated. I, I just don't understand the mentality of these multimillionaire athletes who sort of game the system or dodge the rules. So you had Evander Kane in the NHL, fake a card. You had Aaron Rodgers sort of, you know, mislead people, put it charitably about being immunized, and now Antonio Brown. You know, at least Kyrie Irving, the NBA player, at least he was just a straight-up anti-vaxxer from the start, didn't try to hide and it. flat earther. Yeah, he said, look, I'm flat earther. There's a correlation I'm anti- between the two. I'm anti-vax, and, you know, so what? Like, uh, you know, These guys are trying to hide it. Now, this guy's been suspended for three days, like for say, three games. Antonio Brown's a head case. Yeah, has been for a long time. I'm surprised. I mean, the Tampa Bay Bucks, in some ways, is like the island of misfit toys of the reclamation <laughs> projects there. Okay, well, he, he didn't show much respect to this team. You know, they no. hired him. You got the greatest quarterback in history throwing him the ball, he and health, then he tries a stunt like that. He was a health hazard. Yeah. Uh, no, uh, you know, not vaccinated, participating in uh, physical workouts with his teammates who were vaccinated. All right, welcome back to the show. Keith Baldry is my guest. Baldry's Beat. Phone lines are open 604-280-9898, star 9898 on your cell. Dave and Fanny Bay. Hey, Dave. Hey, fellas. Uh, thanks for taking the call. Um, about the softwood lumber tariffs, um, my understanding is a lot of that money goes directly to the land barons and the lumber producers in the states. Uh, wouldn't it make sense to put an export tax on our lumber going to the United States to match that tariff, and then we could put that money in a pool and uh, subsidize our own lumber for uh, people renovating their houses and creating new housing here? Okay, well, the states has just uh, hiked the duty on our softwood here. 18 to 32%. Uh, Canada had made the case. Uh, It's it's still unresolved. It's going to have to go to the independent uh, or... Uh, tribunal. Like, here we go again. How many times have we had this fight with the Americans? Many times. So it's, again, uh, an ongoing fight. BC's made the argument. You've got high lumber prices. You've got uh, a high demand for BC wood. And so the Americans have argued for some time that Canadian lumber companies are subsidized. So right. um, because they can cut crown, they can cut land on crown on land, crown, crown cheap, land. Yeah. basically. And, and the BC industry argues vociferously it is not a subsidy; it's just simply crown land. They have a tree farm license, a, a contract, basically to cut uh, to cut timber. So it's uh, it's been an ongoing battle. And and I tell you, the the what's interesting when the Democrats are are in power, 
it's harder to fight because they're more protectionist party than yeah. the Republicans are. So as, as much as you know, people you know dislike Trump and all that sort of thing. Uh, the the Democrats have always been identified with uh, with protectionism, but now they're both protectionists, sort yeah. of, aren't they? Well, yeah, Trump Trump was again. Oh. So Biden's got this. You know, it's not about software, but by U.S. One of the major topics in the the summit between him and Trudeau recently was about Trudeau arguing about get away from this buy U.S. policy. You've got to yeah. buy Canada as well. Okay, Bob in. Or oh, sorry, who who we got here? Uh, Russ in Chilliwack. Hi. Hey guys, thanks for taking my call. Hey, I have a question for Keith. Is that my son is 11, and he's he's getting his first vaccine today, which puts his second vaccine eligible for the end of February or mid March. However, he turns 12 the first week of January. So once he turns 12, he's required to provide a, a proof of vaccination for him to go anywhere, like oh. even have a birthday party. Oh, interesting. Oh, that's an interesting situation you find yourself in. Um, I don't know about that. Yeah, that's... Uh, because you have to be you, fully vaxxed. You have to be fully vaxxed in restaurants and, and certain areas. You might right. be able to argue with one dose should be sufficient. I mean, in terms of a birthday party, you don't you don't need proof of vaccination. Um, well, I think I mean, they got to make an accommodation for a kid in that. Yeah, that's <laughs> situation. I think that's an unusual situation. I haven't heard that one. You know what? I'm going to check that out. Well, I think the vaccine card though does still doesn't apply to kids though, or does no. it? No, yeah. No, so we're still we're still looking at uh you know I I don't think your sons in in um you know should be no, I think too kid, concerned about I think this. kids are still exempted from the vaccine card, are they not? Yes. I think they are. Yeah. Okay. Okay, Bob and Chilliwack. Hey, Bob. Yeah. No, the last I heard an interview on that it was still 12 and over despite the uh, oh, okay. approval for uh, Well, okay. no, we're talking vaccine. about the 5 to 11 are not in, uh, required with the vaccination card. Yeah, 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 yeah. So 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 they don't get totally wrapped up in the uh, new We regime. may get to that point, but we're the early we're only less than 5,000 kids have been vaccinated between the age of 5 and 11. It's going to take some time to get through that 350,000 age cohort. Yeah, you got something else, Bob? Yeah, yeah, real quick, um, I hate those guys on the softwood lumber. What excuse are they using now? And lastly, yeah. I'd like to reach back to the real estate thing. But what didn't get discussed, condo market in Vancouver fails to perform in resale like it is out here because out here people are looking for a place to live after being displaced out of Vancouver just so they can drive back to work in Vancouver every day because they're still storing money in dark condo buildings in Vancouver proper, as far as I'm aware of. Least. Okay, thank, me thanks for the call. Problem. Yeah, no, well, the housing situation is going to take a long time to uh, sort itself out. There's no easy fix here. Uh, it's interesting, even with the NDP measures, speculation tax, other uh, measures uh, really haven't put a dent in the market. I'm stunned by the price increase in the Valley. I mean, $1.4 million for a detached home, 36% increase in the Fraser Valley in one year. Like, th- that's where you used to go to afford a house. It'll be interesting, though. We're seeing flooding in Maple Ridge, Mission, Abbotsford. Will people rethink where they're going to live and, oh. and start thinking about flood flooding and living near a stream or a river? I think uh, this is really changing people's minds in terms of where they reside. John in Vancouver. Hi, John. Hi there. Um, so I, I just want to tell you, I work out in a community center. My wife and I go every morning. And in our community center, you go in the door, and if you're going to the gym, they have to show vaccination and your ID. If you're going to the pool, the change rooms, or the steam room, which is all in one section, you don't have to show it. So yeah. technically, all the kids that are swimming in there, which I understand are the highest rate of infection right now, 
are going in there without any proof with adults that could be not vaccinated. That's kind of crazy. And this is what the health order tells them they're allowed to do. Keith, 30 seconds. Well, first of all, you're probably, I don't know where he was calling from, but you're probably in a high vaccination area. So the odds are that most of the He's people, in Vancouver. Vancouver has a, like an, every neighborhood in Vancouver has a, like a 93, 94% vaccination rate of at least one dose and pretty close to two doses. So the odds are most of the, the vast majority of the people in that community center are vaccinated. Thanks, Keith. All right.